0: computer. Welcome to West Virginia and Commonplace. I'm your host JR. Um, It has been a while and I mean it has been a while since we have been able to talk to an author. I took a notion, got on Facebook, and I I always like to cover people that have books that are freshly out. I, I like the idea of people having a book. It sat on Uh, different platforms and different areas for a year but sometimes it's better to have something that's just real raw new um and it just makes for a better experience in an episode today i have with me reagan reagan has an interesting last name Petruha, and i pronounced it correctly i hope she didn't give me any type of indication but i hope i did um and the question that i ask everyone and i like to start these shows off with this and Reagan, we want to know a little bit about who you are and why you are here today.
1: Sure. Well, um, as you kind of pointed out, I do have a book out. Um, In fact, I have it right here with me. Um, This came out around mid-May. It's Head of a Gorgon. It's my debut full-length collection of poems, um, which reimagines the myth of Medusa in contemporary times. Um, and, uh, as far as, as like the, about me, um, I write, I edit, I consult, um, I do that on professional and creative levels. And I've been doing that for so long. I can't even really remember what it was like not doing it. <laughs> so, <laughs> there you have it. And
0: in, in literature, language arts, that is a, that's a hard concept in America. I'm going to throw a little bit of filler in here real quick. To, to why um, once I read over all your information, I got, I got real interested in, in deeper into it. Um, language arts for me has always been a, uh, or English, the English language and the processes that go along with the English language have always been something that have been very uh, important to me. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I think it's vernacular. I think that's mm-hmm. word, a uh, certain type of vernacular um, and people that write. Uh, the difference between certain people, certain people write uh, very concise. Some people have to be very vivid and go um, far into it. Those are things that I like in writing because it gives you two different dynamics. So once I got to skim over um, an amazing thing that you can do, uh, and this is just a shameless plug, uh, there's a book trailer for this book. Uh, you can check that out. That, that right there is kind of uh, interesting because it kind of tied me in there because I'm one of those visual people. So when I seen that, I was like, okay, so. Here's my first major question for you, Reagan. What inspired you to keep pursuing language arts after high school?
1: Sure. Um, well, so I've always been kind of a book nerd. I learned how to read when I was really young, um, and so my and even just through K twelve, like I, I just was really into acad- academics, just generally speaking. Um, Around the time, like this would, this would have been my senior year, I had a particular um, teacher, uh, Mr. Jones, and he was my AP English teacher. And I mean, I, again, I'd, I'd always enjoyed reading and stories and storytelling and, and just kind of imaginary worlds, um, whether they closely reflected the real world or not. Um, but there was something about him and that class, I think that really sort of, sort of turned on a switch for me that this might be something and I didn't know at the time exactly what I had an idea that I might want to go into creative writing specifically but he had us doing all sorts of different um sort of like breakdowns and analyses of different types of writing um understanding personal essays all all of which you have to be tested on in order to pass the AP exam, which is why you're in the AP class. But actually looking on that really deeper level at how storytelling works, whether it's a creative nonfiction like essays or fiction or poetry, and really being able to kind of look behind the curtain as it were, it's like I said, I think it sort of sparked something in me. And plus he was a really great teacher. Um, You could tell that he cared about the subject matter and that it inspired him and it was interesting to him. Um, I think that was sort of maybe like one of those important milestones in my life that once I got to undergrad, I I don't think I declared my major until my sophomore year. I think I deliberately put it off just to kind of like be sure till that last moment which I think is at the end of sophomore year at least it was back in back when I was an undergrad um and but I had already started taking creative writing workshops lit courses and things like that and that was sort of like the path that really sort of spoke to me and so I just carried on
0: all right, so you get out your sophomore year and you're, you've learned a whole lot of different formats. You're writing APA, MLA, I believe at that time. Um, and so you're, you're getting familiar and then you get this hard passion you decide to declare your major. So you go into your junior year. What's happening in your junior year that's gonna um, like, I guess, be the footwork for your future?
1: Um, actually, I would say more than anything, it was... It was probably my senior year of college, junior to senior year of college, where where sort of an important kind of break happened for me, because I actually started out in undergrad in fiction. And I found myself telling, like, stories that were true, (laughs) like things (laughs) that had happened to me or other people I knew in real life, or I was making up stories about people I knew in real life. And in any case, it was never wholly fiction. And I was very aware of that, even though I used the craft elements of fiction and did all that stuff. I real, I started realizing that I kind of wanted to like tell the truth or at least have the, the ability to kind of do that, um, in the medium that I was working. And so around junior, senior year because as an as an undergrad creative writing major you typically have to take a variety of workshops, along with lit courses. So you couldn't just take the creative writing workshops in the genre you had chosen, so you had to take it take some in other genres and then my senior year of college I actually spent. Um, as part of a national student exchange program. So instead of international, like going abroad for a year, I actually just went to California for a year. Mm -hmm. I graduated from University of Arizona, but I did that senior year at Cal State Northridge, which is just north of LA. Okay. And there I got a chance to work with other faculty and I did take fiction, but I also took poetry. And I just started gravitating more and more and more towards poetry so that by the time I eventually um, applied and decided I was actually going to go to the grad program that I chose, um, I was I was going in the poetry direction.
0: Okay, okay. All right, so you get through the first brunt uh, of college and you're graduating. What was the next step for you after graduating college?
1: Um, get a job. <laughs> Uh, I didn't, I didn't go to grad school right away. I didn't even apply to grad school right away. Um, And, you know, everybody's different. But for me, I think that was really important. And I would recommend it to anybody. I think that there's living to be done and growth, like learning, personal growth, uh, that kind of stuff to be done between your undergrad and a grad program. Again, this is—I'm just speaking from my own experience, and you know, people can fr- feel free to disagree with that. But um, knowing, especially knowing what I know now in my 40s, I look back to my 20s, and I was like, "Yeah, that was a good—that was a good call." <laughs> um, and you know, in that time, you—you you know, you—you you get out there, you have a sort of like a different life experience. I got full-time jobs, all of which were writing-related, although you wouldn't necessarily have guessed it. Um, by looking at just the resume, um, you know, I worked for lawyers, I worked for a private investigation company, but all of it was writing related. And, um, and, and the, the professional world needs writers, and you can do any kind of writing job in almost any profession. Um, not, and that's not to say that you don't need to specialize or practice or grow in certain directions, it's just to say that Um, I really, I have found it to be the case that every type of business really does need some kind of decent writing employee, Um, whether it's to do their marketing, um, to help them formulate their messaging, um, to write their letters, their email correspondence, you know, even secretarial work. I mean, you've got to have a decent writing capability. So I did that, and then um, simultaneously, I'm just, I keep going with my, my own writing, and I'm working, and I'm building a portfolio that I feel you know, fairly confident about, um, and I took a separate workshop just to kind of get back into that sort of workshop feel, workshop this portfolio, get it ready, get, you know, make sure that I feel like it's really ready for grad school, and that was a couple of years um, in between undergrad and grad. And then, um, then I applied, and then I ended up at Bowling Green in uni- um, University in Ohio, Bowling Green State.
0: Okay. All right, so then you're at Bowling Green State, and what happens next?
1: <laughs> well, so I thought that part of the reason that I wanted to go to grad school was, um, you know, everybody goes because they want the time to write. But I thought, um, okay, so I've been doing these different kinds of jobs, and they're all okay, you know, but I think maybe I want to teach creative writing. And I go to grad school, and I teach at a college level. And I realize that I do not want to teach at a college level, Um, which, yeah, I think that I find that people are surprised by that. And let me kind of explain, it's not, I, I think teaching is a great profession and I would love to do it in a, an environment that actually cares about educating people. And I did not find the college environment to be that case, like to be that scenario or that environment. Okay. Um, it was more focused on you're going to pass X percent of people, whether they actually have the skills or not, whether they are competent um, writers or not, because this is the amount of time we've given you to do it. I mean, and and let me tell you, like there's, you can't train somebody up essentially in a semester who has been left behind for years in education and K-12. It's just not gonna happen, it's impossible. So, you have to basically, you're, you're basically being told that you have to pass students who don't have the skills that you could provide them if you had enough time with them, but um, the, the system doesn't care. Uh, the system wants to pass X percent of people so that they can basically make the next round of tuition off of the next set of people and keep it going. That's Status the whole process, right? So, I had a big problem with that ethically um just but like just personally emotionally like that that just did not set right with me at all um and it's funny because you would have thought that i would have kind of realized that as a student but i think because i was a nerd (laughs) i just didn't like i didn't realize the struggles of students because i wasn't a student who really struggled um And and so when I saw sort of like that other side, I was like, yeah, I I can't do that in this type of environment. Like that's not going to work for me. Like I would really want to actually help people learn and make sure that they knew the content and made sure that they could actually like act upon a task that was assigned to them within a writing sphere with competence and success. And that was not the, that, that was not what was happening in those classrooms and in that environment. So I found myself in grad school, knowing then that I wasn't gonna be teaching. Um, and so it was like, okay, well, do I stick with it? Um, and if so, why? Um, or do I you know, just stop here and just go back and get a job? And I said, well, you know, I, I spent all this time to kind of work on my writing and get this portfolio ready. I, I do still love writing. I'm just going to use this time then. And I'm going to focus on my writing. I'm going to focus on, you know, what interests me here. I'm going to graduate and I'm just going to go get a kind of job that, you know, I've had before and, you know, life goes on and I'll figure it out. And so that's what I did.
0: Okay. And then let's roll around to 2015. 2015, um, there's a competition that you were involved in and uh, it's called Two of Cups, correct? Hmm. and uh, how did you how did you fare how did you fare in this and why did you enter this competition
1: sure um so yeah two of cups press had a, a contest for um a chapbook so you could submit a chapbook um and basically there was there was a small cash prize you get you know a certain number of copies um and your your chapbook if it was mine, uh, went to all of the people who entered. So it was an instant readership. I mean, presuming that you know, who, whoever receives them on the other end didn't just <laughs> set them on fire, or throw them in the trash. Um, but I mean, I was definitely reaching people that I hadn't uh, before that I would have never necessarily crossed paths with um, otherwise, just by virtue of the way that the competition was structured. So um, I ended up deciding that I was gonna submit a chapbook just as i was working on the full length that just came out this year so or last month i should say um and i'm working on head of a gorgon i'm working on this full-length collection and it just occurred to me that part of it most most of it being the the opening part so um there, so the way that I structured Head of a Gorgon, it's a it's a narrative in poems that, for the most part, is chronological. And I built out a childhood for Medusa, which is not present in any of the retellings that I ever came upon, um, or any of like the original tellings of the myth. So I saw that that particular portion could kind of stand on its own as its own little story without a whole lot of like you you didn't have to know it was supposed to be included in a book about medusa eventually like it could stand on its own and be read and interpreted in a different way like without all of the extra backstory that head of a organ kind of requires so um so i separated that section out it was enough poems and i thought well i'm why not i'll give it a try um, submitting a chat book for most full-length competitions won't disqualify you from submitting to a full-length competition which is an important thing that if you're a writer and you don't know now you know um <laughs> you don't what you don't want to do is um do some like publish something especially if unless you know and you're committed to self-publishing as an example what you don't want to do is self-publish something that's full length because you will probably disqualify yourself from entering first Uh, first book competitions in the future, if that is your goal to to publish traditionally that first collection that you do. But most of them will allow uh, still allow you to enter a full length collection, even if you've uh, published one or more chapbooks, they kind of, it doesn't register on their radar, you can still submit for full lengths. And so that's what I did. I said, okay, well, I know that this won't disqualify me from submitting to, to full length competitions by, by taking this chunk out, submitting it as a chapbook, and, and hopefully getting it published, and um, to my to my surprise and my great joy, it won that competition and was published, and, and so that was the start of my official poetry book journey.
0: <laughs> okay. Now, um, this next portion I want to get into real quick. Um, you know, you, you're, you're an influence now. You have a book that is actually out in circulation in the world um, and you do consultant work also. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't want to dive too deep into that because the consultant thing here, I'll get you to do a shameless plug for us and a little bit about everywhere where people can meet you. But what would be two pieces of advice that you would give to someone if they want to publish their works outside of what you just said?
1: Well, um, are you talking like individual pieces, or are you talking about like actual books, like and some- actual
0: books, like what you've okay. done?
1: So, um, two things that I learned that I think were very helpful, <laughs> um, and that I, I kind of, I, I, if I, I don't know that I wish somebody else outside of myself would have told me this, but um, it would have been good information for self to have prior, <laughs> um, because. Uh, I think everybody's experience really is different. So that's why I say that, like, nobody else is shopping my book. I'm the only one who is shopping my book. Um, and my book, not to say like, oh, there's no other book in the world like it. I'm not one of those people. But um, the, the way that the, the nature of the story, because it deals with sexual violence, it's not going to, it's not going to be like, people are not going to be, not everybody's going to be cool with it. And I did have some of those experiences. Um, Even trying to promote the book, I had some of those experiences. Um, So that's why I said that. But I think one thing would be um, really understand um, that the the amount of money that you can put out there to try to get your book published just through contest fees alone. So this is traditional publishing, legitimate publishing, but done through, in in the poetry world, often done through contests. Those fees are really, really high. Um, And and I'm not saying, like, I understand that small presses especially, they need to find a way to survive. They need to be able to afford to publish work. But that adds up for authors really, really quickly. Um, So keep that in mind as you kind of formulate your goals as far as how. You want to go about publishing a book, and then the other thing that I would point to is sort of like do your research on presses before you start submitting to them. Um, I, I and, and by that you know small presses are always going to tell you buy all their books, and that's their job, and I get it. Um, but authors again aren't necessarily going to be able to afford to buy. A book from every single press that they would like to submit to. That being the case, request books from the library, okay? Uh, You're helping out small presses and small press authors by doing so because you're basically making the library buy the book for you, and so you don't pay. You just go and check it out, so you still have access to that literature, But it saves you money and also does that press and that author a huge favor by getting their work in front in in a new place in front of new people. But the other thing is, look on social media, because I think that a lot of people nowadays are having, there are some people who are having some really terrible experiences with certain small presses right now, especially in poetry. And if you're on social media and you spend time on social media, and you start making friends and building a network. People are going to let you know, and it's going to show up in your feed. Those presses that you should avoid, you can save yourself a lot of heartache, unnecessary heartache, by doing that kind of research as well. So not just, okay, what does my work fit into what the small press publishes, but also, are they a reputable press? Are they publishing like bad people, like racist people or anti-LGBTQ authors? Um, are they? Like, are they not honoring their contracts? Are they ghosting people that they signed on with? Like all of these things are happening right now. Like I'm part of a Facebook group where this woman is talking about an experience that she's having with a small press where it's like they're just ghosting her and she doesn't know what to do. She has a contract. What does she do? And it's like, this is, this is happening you can save yourself a lot of heartache by building those connections so that you're in the loop on those particular presses who should not be in business in the first place, but definitely is not the place for your manuscript, no matter what subject it covers, no matter who they've published before or what relationships they've had with other authors.
0: Okay, and I like that. So audience, authors, any type of content creator, because this can be used in different realms also. Networking and uh, making your decisions off of numerous experiences, just not one experience because that's how we formulate things and that's how we keep the world going. So to get deeper uh, with you, you have a poetry chat book, An Animal I Can't Name. Where does this book or what does this chat book sit uh, in your archives like what what does this represent for you before we get into the nitty-gritty before we get into your other your, to your book like what, where does this this uh literary piece sit for you right now
1: well it's funny actually because like I remember at the time and um this is just this was just like a me thing um I remember at the time I'm holding technically my first book in my hand I mean, yes, it's a chapbook, but I'm technically holding the first poetry book that I've ever created in my hand. And I was like, I mean, it's great, it's beautiful. The cover art was done by a, a, a close friend and et cetera, et cetera. The press that I worked with is great. And I'm like, I feel like this should feel differently. Like, why don't, like, like, I should be feeling certain things that like, I'm just not feeling like, I I don't know what, I don't know what I thought I was supposed to do. Like, am I supposed to like, start screaming? Like I want a million dollars or like, um, am I supposed to feel like, like, like I've, I'm it now, like I have reached the pinnacle or like, I am legitimate somehow. I didn't feel any of those things. And looking back I actually realized that it was it was in the the putting together of that thing and in the building of these collections that's the true success that's where the actual work and I guess like yeah I'm a writer moments that's that it was it wasn't a moment it was all of these years And I now knowing that, I I take these moments as I'm doing these different things to celebrate and honor that. Because the day your book arrives, it's great. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to crap on anybody who had a totally different experience when their first book book arrived. And maybe they did scream and feel all the things that I did not feel. Um, But uh, that's one day. That's one single day in the writer's entire life. And it it flies, it flies by so fast. (laughs) So if you don't find ways to kind of celebrate and honor the path, the journey, the process, your growth along the way, you're really kind of robbing yourself of of I think a huge experience in life and part of your growth as a person.
0: Okay. Now let's get to it. Head of Gorgon, of a Gorgon, excuse me. Could you tell the audience briefly just, I just want to get a snippet of it, um, what it's about. And after you tell them what it's about, explain why you decided to go in the direction of Medusa.
1: Sure. So um, it is a contemporary reimagining of the myth of Medusa. Uh, specifically the story, because this is the core sort of the linchpin of her story. It is a story of sexual violence in most uh, retellings um, or or most tellings of the original myth, which it's funny because to say original myth, you think there's only one, but there's not. And so that's what I discovered as I originally started researching Medusa. Um, And the reason that I originally started researching Medusa is because I was sitting in a workshop one night and it just sort of like this idea popped into my head that to to connect that figure of Medusa. So with, with my mother, my mother is a breast cancer survivor and I've noticed, and she had a double mastectomy and it changed her, her perspective on herself. And it changed certain types of men's perspective on her as well. And I would say like bad dudes, like dudes that are not good and not worth crap. They're just not bad. They're, they're just bad people. Yeah. Um, so let me just clarify that. I'm not saying all dudes. Um, I'm just saying that there are a lot of very shallow, narcissistic, evil dudes out there. Um, and some of them happen to be in my mother's life and my life <laughs> for a time. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Um, this this idea of people respond certain types of people responding to her as if she would almost as if she was a monster was very like Medusa like to me because there is Medusa who basically is turned into a monster as punishment as if being raped is not punishment enough um, she's then punished by being turned into this horrible monster that is so. Hideous that she basically turns anybody who looks at her into stone. And so, this concept sort of for me in my mind, like poet mind, associative leaping mind, connected these two ideas and thought, well, you know, I wonder what would happen if I kind of took those ideas and tried to, you know, frame my mom's story within this sort of um, mythological framework. And as soon as I sat down and I started doing the research that night and I started delving into the delving deeper into the myths of Medusa, I was like, this story is about sexual violence. It's about retellings. It's about the the silencing of women. It's about those types of things. And so I kind of shelved the idea of connecting it to my mother's breast cancer survivorship and focused it more from that point forward um, on sexual violence survivorship. Although that being said, the My thesis, which is how this project started, my grad school thesis, what had a very different, it really focused on the retellings and the sexual violence component was definitely there, but it was really focused more heavily on the retellings and less a personal type of narrative um, told from the per- first person, from the perspective of Medusa in most of the poems throughout the book. Um, it, it, it definitely shifted once I graduated. So, uh, but that that's sort of how it all began.
0: Okay. That's deep right there. And to tackle such a heavy topic, uh, not knowing what we were getting ourselves into in this last six months, uh, you know, we won't bring up that trial or anything that has to do with that, but just all that. And especially with me too, and just how the world shifted from out of COVID and our mindset, you know, a lot of people are, um, what's the word I want to use without offending anybody? Because, you know, that's the worst thing we can do nowadays is offend people. Um, Our sensitivity has changed.
1: Yeah, yeah, awareness, sensitivity, all of those things, yeah. Have
0: changed. Uh, I always go back to a little bit of scientific method uh, of hardening, things that are hard, you know, certain density and things like that. Our density is not the same with our feelings, so I thank you uh, for expressing that. Now, um, I want people to head over to your website, but I need you to do a shameless plug real quick. The shameless plug is something that we do on this show because we want people to get involved because we're going to push this over 13 different social medias. We're going to take this thing and uh, move all your information along. And whatever you provide us in the show notes, will build SEO for you and you'll go on from there. So could you please tell everybody where they can meet and greet you um, on the Internet, social media?
1: Sure. So my website is, um, it's a WordPress site. So it's my my first name, which is spelled kind of funky, but it's R-A-E-G-E-N. My mil- middle initial M is in Mary. My last initial P is in Peter. So reaganmp.wordpress.com. And uh, if, that, if that fails, like if you can't remember how to spell my name, just google head of a gorgon (laughs) and it'll pop up and there will be my full name and then you can find me from there my 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 wordpress pops up my that website and then i'm also on twitter my twitter handle is at free radical rp and then my instagram handle is reagan mp okay
0: Um, and and let's go over to this wordpress real quick because i like to give some people um an audio because some people close their eyes and they become visual when they close them like i'm doing now Um, over on your WordPress, you have your homepage or home setting, you have blog, resume, professional publications, literary happenings, service offered in and testimonies, and your contact me. So people can reach you for more than just this book. You can help someone carve a new niche in whatever type of writing profession they're trying to get into, correct?
1: Yeah. So I, I've helped writers like with professional writing. I've helped creative writers. Um, I've also, I also do resume writing, resumes and cover letters. So I've helped people, uh, you know, build materials and get new jobs doing that. Um, I also have done, uh, marketing, uh, consults and things of that nature to help people kind of figure out a game plan to promote their own creative projects. Okay. Uh, So, yeah. So now that all that being said, um, if there's something that somebody reaches out to me about where it's not my specialty, like if somebody were to say, um, reach out and be like, hey, can you help connect me with a a cookbook publisher? Like I don't actually know any cookbook publishers, but I bet you I, I, I know somebody in some group or somewhere on my social media who does. And I'm often like thrilled to be able to make those connections because I think that that's, that's really sort of what it's about. I've had people help me along my journey and connect me um, with people and resources. And so I always like to try to pay it forward whenever I can. And also just acknowledge like, I don't know everything, but together we know everything. So it's sometimes it's about finding that right person. Um, But a a lot of times I am able to help directly.
0: Okay, okay, I like that. Now, Journalistic integrity. We we pay homage to a news magazine uh, on this show quite a bit. Uh, 2020 came on ABC when we were both really, really young. It had Diane Sawyer. It had John Stossel. He was the comedian, but it had one of the greatest journalists to ever live, Barbara Walters. And what Barbara Walters did when she interviewed people, she did one or two things. She made you question them or she made them very personable to you. And At that time in age for me, I I don't know, I was maybe in middle school, elementary school. It came on Friday night, 1040 to about 11 o'clock. Sometimes it ran over. She would get you thinking, you know, and I would go to sleep thinking, And you know, by Saturday morning when I was younger, it was cartoons that would kind of block it out. But as I got older, I would think about the topic she said, and it would stick with me all week long until the next time I heard her voice on something. So. It's your time, Reagan, uh, for your 2020 questions. It's time to get a little bit more personable. These are the questions that are hard-hitting. These are the ones that uh, make these shows. And like I always say, they put the gems inside these shows. Um, So are you ready?
1: I mean, I guess we're going to find out.
0: (laughs) Okay. So being an author, there (laughs) is an obstacle that comes to everyone, and it's writer's block everyone has a different positional writer's block. Some people say they didn't get it. Some people say they don't get it, but I'm going to make it a little deeper. I don't care about the writer's block because you can hear that from anybody. What was some mental anguish that happened in between creating your book? Because mental anguish is a whole different thing. Sometimes it's paralyzing. Um, I'll give an example. I did a live event for professional wrestling this weekend and I I don't have anxiety. I've never had it. But I got shell shocked because I was around so many people that I admired that I I did commentary, did everything else, but I only interviewed one wrestler. Mm. And I was just stuck and I'd never been stuck in my life. And it was one of those things like I had anguish because I was like, what if I don't produce what is expected of me or what is expected of me? I finally asked that question. I never would in any type of interview like this or anything because I know hard hitting questions, uh, a sly look, a certain cue were sold. I can do that all day. I can even do that in person. It was just in this one instance that I just froze. I was like, wow. And the mental anguish was, was that I didn't know what type of perception I would get from, you know, or what type of procession I would put out there and what type of reception I would get back. And that reception is what I was so hung up on and it left me stuck.
1: Sure. Well, um, so this actually isn't, it's not, it seems long ago, but it actually isn't that long ago. Um, I've had several jobs, but uh, a, there was a certain set of jobs, uh, or more to the point, a certain employer, um, where in my re- more recent history, where I, I just, there, there was so much chaos. Like It was just absolute chaos from the people who were running the show to like the trickle down BS uh, of the workplace, the, the protectionism, the backstabbing, the, the just lying and narcissistic leadership. And it was, it was just like, like, when I say chaos, I mean, it was just like every single aspect of my work life was miserable. And because it was miserable and because I ha- it caused me such mental <laughs> anguish, I mean, honestly, I look back and I'm surprised that I was even able to like do my job, let alone actually do it well. Um, and not just by my own standards. I mean, my, perfor- my performance evaluations were always really good, but I'm just like, but like you people are awful. And like this system is broken and it- it's just, it's madness. And I found it so difficult to come back home and work on my own writing and work on my work, the things that mattered to me the most, that after about five years of being in that environment in different capacities, I just had to go. Like I, I knew it was it was costing me so much physically, mentally, emotionally, to be in such a toxic environment professionally that it was spilling in it's just spilling into my creative life where it's like you're just so drained and just so almost like also like consumed by like everything that's happening around you that's so dysfunctional that you don't have the space and the energy that you need in order to create what matters to you and so that's exactly what I did three years ago I walked away. And then everything started coming together. I I got this book out. I, I was shopping it around, and it's published. I got eighteen chapters into my memoir draft. I mean, it, it was like I had exercised the demons.
0: <laughs> so you do you do take care of yourself, care that way, through the I memoir. Mean,
1: yeah, I mean, at this like you know sometimes you learn the lesson the hard way. <laughs>
0: yeah, understandable. Well.
1: A while. Um, you know, I, and I understand, like, it's a privilege that, that I had to be able to do that. I know that not everybody would be in the position that I was in, where I was able to financially afford to do that. And I don't have a family to support so that I could make that choice. And I know that that's not the case for everybody, but I cannot overemphasize, um, how critical it is if you're creative to have a job and, and it's going to be different for everybody like that job might've been just fine and not draining at all to, to a fellow creative. But for me, it was, it was just a disaster. So it's important as a creator to know these things about yourself and know what kind of, what you, what you can and cannot do to pay the bills that will still leave you with that energy and space to do your own creating.
0: Okay. Now here's another question. And this is something that as a content creator, I am I have different rules for different people for this. And the the word I want to use that starts with a C criticism.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There's literary criticism, then there's the uneducated criticism, then there's other random criticisms. So let's go to the one that makes the most sense, literary criticism. Your book, you mm-hmm. you've you have people proofread, you have you, you've allowed other people to check it out to see what their opinion on it and to get a different take from other people. Because here in perspective gives you perspective. What was the hardest part about getting perspective that was in a negative nature about your book?
1: Um, that would have actually been when I was still in grad school. Um, so while it was still in like thesis form, when it was just the original sort of like tricklings and, of, mm-hmm. of the idea and the concept, uh, one of my professors told me that they thought that I should just ab- abandon the project entirely. Ooh. So yeah, and did that in the full workshop. So, so it wasn't Whoa. just me who heard it, but it was also my peers. And I'm, I'm very, and this is why, again, I, I'll go back to something I said earlier, why it may be important to take some time off between undergrad and grad school, especially as a writer, because I had been in the real world and I had dealt with other kinds of criticism from bosses, from, you know, coworkers and stuff like that. So that by the time I was in grad school, I had had various experiences of that nature. And, um, and I was older and more emotionally capable and mature uh, to, to be able to handle that and basically just say, okay, well, that's, I mean, that's fine that that's that person's opinion. And I really don't just don't give a, you know, what. <laughs> um, and so I just kept going with it. But imagine if I had been, you know, 22 or 23 year old me um and hearing that I just don't I just don't know that the outcome would have been the same I mean maybe it would have but I don't know and and I I'm glad I don't know and Um, I'm
0: I'm, I'm glad you got thick skin you got thick skin for it being in the real world um sometimes that real world experience takes away from because going to college also college is a surreal place it's not like high school but it's got its own reality to it and then you step out that reality and go back into the regular world even being there you still don't get that same feeling once you're just out on your own and nothing else going on. So I do thank you for that. And that right there will help a lot of people along the way, even though it may not make any difference to you and me right now, that will definitely help people. So now here goes the hardest question. Head of a Gorgon is out. You just spoke briefly and very limitly about a memoir.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What's next for you?
1: Um. Yeah. So I basically have to, finish drafting the memoir and then I guess I have to revise it which is going to be a nightmare but you know one that I is worthy worthy to me and that I have chosen to take on because I'm crazy and then I will figure out what to do with that I mean I that's going to be a whole new learning process for me because with poetry you you don't unless you're like super well established and very famous like you don't really have like an agent and you don't Like the agent doesn't like shop your manuscript to publishers on your behalf. Like the poetry world isn't like that. Um, So going into this direction of prose and where it is like that, where most authors are represented and those representatives are supposed to at least try to sell that book, sell that manuscript. um, That's going to be a whole new learning process for me. So I do want to, I want to have at least a full first draft, which is going to be crappy, but I want to have at least a full first draft before I start diving into the whole, like what what am I supposed to do looking for this agent? And again, that's where social media is really great because I'm, I'm connected to a bunch of pros, people who do this agent thing and know all about that. So I know that once I have my crappy first draft done, even though I know I'll still probably have to revise it before I start sending to agents, I at least know that there will be people that I can ask, like, what do I do? Like, what am I even doing with this? Um, Who will be able to kind of give me some insights um, so that I can hopefully uh, do that the way I guess it's supposed to be done and be successful uh, with my pros as well.
0: Okay. And I thank you for doing those 2020 questions because that got a little deep. They didn't get too deep, but they got deep enough. Now, another thing I like to do with content creators that have strong stuff that, that I know is going to have a great following, we do a little role play. Role play works like this we go talk about the head of a Gorgon, and uh, we'll start off like this. Um, everyone knows that we're located on the East Coast, so we'll just say you start off in New York City. Um, no, 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 let's do something better. Let's go to New Jersey. You're over um, at Princeton. You're giving a TED talk. <laughs> TED Talks are serious. So we're gonna role play with this. And the theme of this is creative communicator. <laughs> uh, that's the that's the whole ideal here. So what is the opening statement? And I'm gonna give you some time with this. I will put a little filler in here. So think hard about this. Um what is the first statement you come out of your mouth with? You got your the mic hooked to your face. You're not going to do the little microphone. You're going to actually be real professional. And you're walking around. We'll say there's probably about four or five thousand people in there because Princeton can do more than that, but we'll just say four or five thousand for limited engagement, one night only. Um, creative communicator. There's a banner, there's a little thing outside the arena or wherever we're at out there in New Jersey. Uh stating your name. Um, given a little thesis or a little, I mean, a little descriptive uh, piece or briefing about you. You hit the stage, you already had your glass of water. What do you say?
1: Um, <laughs> actually, what I say is, this is the easiest way for me to encapsulate what I believe about writing, all writing, But I'm really glad I changed my WordPress tagline to see things differently. Because I think creative communicator being a noun is very vague. Seeing things differently and asking somebody to have a different perspective is actually very clear to me. Um, But it requires that creative communicating ability. So, and and actually is the end goal. So if you want to persuade people, if you want people to connect with your thoughts, your ideas, maybe even take on your opinion or perspective, you have to do so I think in a way where you are communicating creatively. You have to sort of understand things about how communication works and that usually means you're trying to understand various audiences and understanding their perspectives and then shaping your message to those people. So I think every sort of creative communica- I think every sort of communication is creative. I think that people don't often see that or acknowledge that, but I very much believe that to be true. And I think that when you are successful, people will see things differently.
0: OK, so you, you get that out the way. Uh, you get good press behind that. Uh, leaving out of New York, uh, you have some engagements. You got an engagement in Pittsburgh because that makes sense going west. And okay. that's just technically still mid-Atlantic to a degree. You're here in Pittsburgh. You're at a BAM, which books a million for anybody that didn't know what BAM is. Books a million. You're doing a signing for this book. Um, two individuals come up to you and uh, to stay in a good space with everybody that's binary, non-binary, and anything else that needs to be represented in this comment. Two individuals at two different occasions come up to you and they give you a brief history of uh, their the sexual assault or something that's happened to them. Mm-hmm. And they say that your book moved them in a certain way. It made them feel human again to know that they are not this Medusa. You get, you leave um, from there, you head over to your hotel room and, you know, you get a little tenderhearted because, you know, you've heard different parts about it and stuff like that. The tenderness you got is from life experiences. Um, In your heart, you get that from your mother, obviously, Um, just from how the expression on your face is and how you spoke about her. What's the next feeling that comes from that when you're sitting in your hotel room or you're eating dinner after you've done this book signing in Pittsburgh?
1: Um, you know, it's, it's actually, in some respects, that's sort of already started to happen for me um, where people have reached out via email. It hasn't, it hasn't so much been person to person, face to face. Um, and it's, it's really kind of a mixed Uh, emotion, a set of emotions, because on the one hand, I'm so grateful if this, if this work helps people or when it helps people, specifically survivors, to kind of see themselves differently, to potentially reframe some of the things that happened in ways that are still honest and truthful, but better kind of um, allow them to heal and move on or reframe in a way that allows them to live more happy, joyful lives, I wish that that never had to be the case. And that part is infuriating to me. I wish I never had to write this book. I wish nobody had these experiences. And I, will, I feel that I will always be angry about that. Um, that. And that feels like a very righteous and justified response to, um, to all of it, to all of survivorship is that this should not have ever happened in the first place. So to feel that, that sort of, you know, again, it's like, I'm grateful that the book helps whoever it helps. I'm, in, I'm infuriated and outraged that anybody needed this book and anybody needed this help, myself included.
0: Okay. Okay. Now, Pittsburgh's right here, and then you cross over in Ohio. Ohio, uh, to where I'm from, I'm in Parkersburg, West Virginia. It's real close. Uh, we call it Triple C, because you got Cleveland, Columbus, Cincinnati. You start off in Cleveland, you go to Cincinnati, and I mean, you go to Cleveland, Columbus, and Cincinnati. Everybody's made that run at some point, if you ever been in Ohio. So, you go through these areas, and each one of these areas has different demographics, uh, just different makeups. So you get praise and you hear a lot of great things, but then you get down to Cincinnati, and Cincinnati's a little—it's a rough place. I should have said Toledo, but whatever. It's not a city. So Cincinnati, you're down there, and um, you get your first bit of negative criticism. Um, someone takes a, a moment, they're there, um, and they tell you that your book was alright, and they just walk away. You got thick skin. We already know. So you 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 brush it off. Later on, you know your you, your uh, virtual assistant or whoever helps you coordinate your social media, you notice that same person that talked to you has put a whole different narrative, a negative narrative, on the internet. Your um, PR company says just ignore it, but you, being the person that you are, <laughs> you read you read a little bit more into this. And you contact that person.
1: Mm. And that doesn't sound like me, but okay.
0: We'll just say for role okay. we'll play. Yes. So you, you say so you, so you contact this person because you want to know the full experience, you want the whole user experience. Um, and the person explains to you that an incident happened to them and it just triggered them the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And you you go on from that, and you and this person. Uh, form a bond because this person realizes that you're a genuine person and you had no ill intent when you wrote this so a negative turns into a positive
1: Mm -hmm. Um,
0: how do you explain this to your mother in close quarters later about this incident in Cincinnati
1: okay so the first thing I say is okay so I don't understand how they missed the trigger warning page that I deliberately (laughs) included in the book that's the first thing I say like, I don't understand how this person, did the person not have the physical book or did they like rip out that page? Because before you can even get to the content, the trigger warning page is right there. Okay, but let's just say, hypothetically speaking, the the version that they had had that page tear, torn out. Um, you know, I, I guess I that, that would be the first thing that I would say to my mom is like, I don't even understand how this even happened that because I, I've included this trigger warning in the pages of the book. Like, how did that? How did that like get missed? But that being said, I mean, you know, sometimes people think that they're right, re- Like, they might read the trigger warning and think that they're ready, and then they read it and then they realize that they're not. Um, but you know, if I was explaining that to my mother, I think it would be something probably along the lines of, you know. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I met somebody who just was not in the right place to read the book. And maybe they thought they were, or, you know, maybe they missed that terror warning page or what have you. Um, but I really hope that they turn to the <laughs> resources that I also included in the book. Um, <laughs> and take advantage of some of those or like I would have also pointed them in that direction as well, because um, that, that unprocessed pain is not something that I am professionally equipped to handle, um, nor is it my place, nor is it appropriate for me to take that on. Um, but I do think that everybody deserves those resources and deserves to heal and, and find that, that um, that experience um and so that's that I, I probably would end by telling my mom yeah I referred that person to x y and z resources and I really hope that that person takes advantage of those resources because they deserve to be happy
0: okay now you've done the east coast you've made the mid-atlantic and s- some parts of the Ohio I don't know I even consider Ohio the midwest but oh yeah We'll call that the Midwest, and we'll skip past St. Louis, and we'll head on out to California. California, you know some people. You got connections. Uh, you made a stop off in um, Nevada for a little bit, then you make your way to California. Um, you are in a stadium. You are asked to read a few excerpts out of your book. You're on a stadium tour now because, you, you know, you made a little money. You got a little famous. So you're on a stadium tour now. You got... <laughs> You got, you got some work that you can put out there. Would you, and, and I'm asking you about the direction of the work. So Head of a Gorgon and your other publication, if you could take excerpts out of those, how many excerpts would you take from both to do your live tour or or your live stadium tour or while you're on this live stadium tour in California because you're at the University of California, Riverside. That's, that's my favorite out there. Um, you know, in this pack, we're going to say 25,000 people. That's my favorite number. 25,000 people in there. Um, and, you know, you, you warm the audience up with uh, banter and different things like that. But what would be your startup? What would be your lead in a live-spoken format in this tour? Because, you know, it's more than just a TED Talk. It's, it's an experience by now because you've done what you did on the East Coast and the West Coast solidifies you. What excerpts or what, what book would start you off?
1: Well, because um, a lot of the poems from an animal I can't name ultimately ended up making it into *Head of a Gorgon*, albeit in some different versions. Um, I probably would just focus on on the gorgon specifically, um, but you know, I would have to think about that because I think they're, they're well for an audience that large. I would like to think that they understood the nature of the work. Again, like I mean, I would have to provide a trigger warning, but if it's a stadium, you can't like how do you like mute or walk away? Like if you're not in a space where you can handle some of that stuff. So I would probably have to choose homes that didn't um, go too heavily into some of that, that subject matter. And because of that, I think another, this is something that I just started doing recently, like, and by recently, I mean this year I used to incorporate like one poem by another poet in um, my, like my grad school readings and some of the other readings that I did prior to this year. But this year I've done two readings thus far where I alternate a poem by somebody else and with one of my own where I see like a kind of like a connection whether um, it, there's like a language type of connection or a, a thought or idea kind of connection an imagery kind of connection, just some kind of connection where the poems are kind of more or less in dialogue. And I really enjoy doing that. And I, like, it was like, I don't know how I didn't think of doing this before. Like I really don't because I just, I personally enjoy it so much. And it also helps um, other people like expand their, you know, their sort of horizons as far as who they read and listen to. So I can incorporate these other works and suddenly my, my work is in dialogue in bigger context than just sexual violence. Um, so I think I would probably take that approach of taking some of the poems that are a little bit more tame and not so hardcore on the sexual violence components, mm-hmm. and pairing them up with some poems by other people that maybe speak to some other things but have some commonalities with my work where I'm creating a larger picture of poems and dialogue.
0: Okay, okay. Now you've done all this. Uh, you had a good time in California. You catch a flight and for some reason, your flight gets rerouted to Charlotte, North Carolina. So you got to make a trip home to wherever you're from from Charlotte. You're down the road and you get to the great state of South Carolina, and you see a billboard. It has a picture of you and what is on that billboard.
1: Oh my God, um, so you know, it's it's funny because I am not photogenic. Like my sister is so photogenic, it's not even funny. I on the other hand have like literally one good picture. It's the one on my website. It's the one that was taken by a professional photographer who used to be a friend and colleague of mine. I mean, still a friend of co- still a friend, not a colleague <laughs> because I no longer work there. So let me clarify that. Um, otherwise pictures of me, video of me, it's all, I I mean, I, I do what I can, but my face does things that I just cannot explain. It's possessed. It's got a mind of its own. So most likely my face is doing something extremely embarrassing and it is what it is, but I laugh as I drive by it. I take a picture of it And I send it to my sister, who then turns it into like multiple versions, like different colors, memes, maybe there's some words on there that are just between her and I. And that that's kind of that's because that's just my fate in life, like I can't take good pictures for the life of me, just the one I got one good picture. That's it.
0: (laughs) Oh, wow and i can see your picture here i mean
1: that's it that's the one good picture that's it
0: the wind was just right wasn't it for your hair like right there
1: well he's a he's a pro that's why he's a pro that's that you know because he knows the winds and also cameras and lighting
0: (laughs) all right now The last bit that we do on this show, this is something that's very nostalgic. I bring it back for certain episodes and you have been a thrill to have on the show. Um, This thing that I ask people is to let me know about a hidden talent or a secret that no one knows about them. There's a lady that's not too far up the road from you in Georgia. She buys um, artwork, like, um, I don't know, just different things. and, And she puts rhinestones on it, resells it, and she makes a lot of money. I'm talking not like six figures, but close to it. Yeah. just buying artwork from goodwill in different places and just reimagining it with uh yeah. items on it, beads anything yeah. um there's another uh lady that is in virginia if she hears a can open like carbonation it ruins her day she's done she'll just go back to bed um there's a guy in new york he's a rapper and for his cadence he uses a rubik's cube that he can solve within 45 seconds
1: oh my god now, I don't know
0: how I don't even know how that he could rap that fast, but you know, if you can talk with whatever, whatever. So everyone has a talent. And then mine, um, I live in West Virginia, but I travel a lot. And on my personal Instagram, you know, there's pictures of me in exotic places across the United States, because we do have exotic places here or Virginia Beach. So that's just normal. Um, but I cannot swim. Oh, wow. So when you see me in some of these things, you're like, how does how's he out here? And he doesn't swim. Well, I have someone behind me, my co-host Stacy. She is an excellent swimmer. She will save my life. So I dangle off in the mountain Dew type looking pictures. <laughs> and you know, you're like, he's really out here doing this, but he could fall into the water. No, nah, it's not gonna happen. I'm safe. So that's my secret, and everybody knows it now, but you know, I can't swim. I get in a pool. I'm a little bit under six feet, so I don't go any further than five feet. Kind of mm. scary even at five feet.
1: Sure yeah sure. um gosh hidden talent I mean I or I just, a
0: secret or a secret yeah, no one knows
1: no, I'm, I'm trying to well no I mean things that no one knows at this yeah. point I don't I don't know that there's anything no one knows that's why I'm writing my books <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm trying to think of like because so for me if I if I feel like I have some kind of talent oh I know I know what it is okay I know okay. what it is okay Cause I was going to say, usually if I have, if I feel like I have even like the slightest amount of talent, I'm out there trying to like, to do something with it. So like, I got my first photo publications this year. Cause I was like, Hey, you know, my little, the little photos I'm taking, you know, every day for project 365 on social media, you know, some of these are good. And I bet somebody would publish them and sure enough, they did. And so, so now I'm a photographer too. Oh,
0: wow. But Underneath your belt
1: but I can't take good photos of my face. <laughs> Still can't do that. But, okay. So one of the things that my fiance has pointed out to me and that he, he like, he, this is like one of the things that he like really digs about me. So I play these, these phone games, right? Like, you know, um, the, the one that I have, I can't even remember what it's called. Oh, phase 10.
0: Okay, phase 10,
1: yeah. I don't know if you know that game. So
0: Yeah, we play it. We play it yeah. real life. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, um, well, so I, I play these games and what I, what I find myself doing eventually is all, but it takes a while. Like you got to be playing for a while and kind of figure out like what the nature of the game is so that then you can figure out sort of like the tricks so much like, like when you played like Nintendo as a kid and you found out about like the, the button things that you could cheat the game or whatever and like skip levels or the tunnels hiding at whatever point. And then you you, you know, you could warp to however many levels ahead, et cetera, et cetera. But you had to kind of start off by playing that game for a while first in order to get there. So I I I've started doing that <laughs> with some of these phone games where like I I, I was playing this one. Um, Tripeaks, solitaire, but this was back in the day where they had this, this feature where it was like, I think it was like once a week. If I recall correctly, it was on Wednesdays. They had this, this memory game, this, pi- where it was like captain karma's pirate ship thing. And, and it would be a memory game, but that's where you could make all of the, like, you could win all of the free coins and free play. So I don't I don't pay to play these games. Like I refuse to pay a single penny to play a phone game. Which I don't know if that makes me a bad person. I honor the creators by playing their game. Okay, they're not they're not buying my poetry. I'm not paying for to play a game. Okay, Sorry. <laughs> maybe that makes me a bad person, but I'm just being honest. Okay, so how do you get more free games? Right? How do you get more free coins? Well, you play Captain Karma. And I think at some point enough, people had figured that out along with me, that they took that feature out completely.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so then I
1: switched games. So now I'm on phase 10. And at some point, I realized that if you're playing phase 10, and like sometimes like, because I play against computers, so I'm playing against the computerized uh, people and it's, it's a series of levels within a phase. So like, let's say this one has six stages. So if the computer were to get ahead of me, oftentimes because the the nature of how to win the round changes once you move on from fa- like phase one, maybe you need a set of three. Phase two, maybe you need seven of one color. But now you're playing, now people are out of phase with each other. So you're you're trying to get a set of five. And then the computer's trying to get seven of one color, which is easier to accomplish than a set of five. And so then you lose all of your, your energies. And then basically you lose that round to the computer. But if you actually close out of the game before it hits that final round where it's it, all the cards start disappearing and it goes to, to move you to the next round, you will still be when you reopen the game at that that stage that you were at prior so now i never lose
0: (laughs) so you know glitch so
1: so i figured out the the trick right and my fiance is just like like i don't know like how you sit there and you do these things or like what the point is like now because you're you just always win and i'm like well no i mean i still enjoy playing but if I could always win, why wouldn't I? Like, then I get the coins and I get the I get the little animals that do cool things and I get the little picture frames and that's cool. And you know, like, why wouldn't <laughs> I? Like, why wouldn't you, if you played the game? You know, I'm just saying like, whatever. For me, it's still fun because the fun is putting together the winning the winning rounds. But like, I'm not gonna let that computer get like five stages ahead of me, no.
0: <laughs> right. Because you're playing it for leisure, right? And I thank you for that. Now, to round this all up real quick, um, I want to thank you, Reagan, for coming on. Um, And I want to thank you, and this is just something for the fans, I said it earlier in the episode, for giving me an English lesson on your last name. Because you made it easy for me to pronounce your last name, which I've already forgotten a little bit. Um, Petra? Petrua. Petrua. And I spelled it P-E-T, Petrua, got it, Petrua. And I took out all the extra letters in her name. There's a U and a C. <laughs> I took all that stuff out and I just made uh, P-I-E-T-R-A-H. So finally, one last time, can you do a shameless plug and let everybody know where they can find you on uh, social media and uh, your website?
1: Sure. So the website is reaganmp.wordpress.com. So that's R-A-E-G-E-N-M-P.wordpress.com. And then I'm on Twitter at Free Radical RP and on Instagram at MP.
0: All right. And this is Jr. from West Virginia Uncommonplace. Uh, definitely check us out at Uh, uh Join the mailing list. Um, this episode will be available real soon. It'll be an amazing show notes so that you will be guided to all the places that you can find this and to the people that don't read, um, don't listen to the episode, but read it. The transcript for this episode is usually out four days after it comes out. So you can read the episode and find out all the information you like to know there. That's one little thing that we like to do for you guys. Um, other than that, uh, make sure that you pay attention to Head of a Gorgon and read it, buy it, um, request it in your library. That's something that we will definitely get on there and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about um, in the little extra clip that I will get out of Reagan before we get rid of her or she gets rid of us. Um, so once again, thank you.
1: Thank you so much for having me.